guys, and welcome to our brand new podcast here. We've got a lot of great information coming your way, and I'm going to kick it over to Pastor Brian so that we can explain a little bit about what exactly we're going to be talking about here here on this podcast. Thanks, Micaiah. Great to be here. It's great to have a conversation with you. I'm pumped about this conversation because I think what I've been wanting to do for a while now is to share something with everybody, uh, especially all of our college students that uh, I go over in the first day of any class that I teach. And uh, it's called the Top 10 Principles for College Student Success. So anyway, good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this. I feel like it'll be a huge resource to a lot of the college students out there, honestly. Yeah, you think uh, being successful is important? (laughs) It's extremely important. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what age, uh, no matter where we are in life, whether you're just a student or you're a professional in the workforce somewhere or on a leadership team at a ministry or at a church like this, it's important to always try to, you know, obviously to do our best. And I don't think there's anybody who doesn't want to succeed. Have you ever met anybody like that? No. And uh, especially high school students with a lot of ambitions coming out of high school, their teachers, I'm sure, do an incredible job, but there's just stuff that honestly is really difficult to teach them in the classroom. And I feel like we're going to go through a lot of those things that I wish that I even had whenever I was coming out of high school going into college. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking about even my youngest, who is now seven, I can't believe that, even (laughs) my youngest at the age of seven wants to succeed. It's important to him to succeed. So he's going to try his very best and to try to be successful, whether that's shooting baskets in the driveway, playing with his toys or army men, which he just got for Christmas or something like that. I mean, I think it's just in most of our natures to just want to succeed and be successful. I mean, if we're going to go through the work, put in the effort, we wanted to at least succeed at doing that. So that's what I wanted to just talk with you about was I've got these principles here that I've talked to students about before, and I usually you know, give them, give, give them to the students at the first day of class. And I thought, well, why don't I just drop it on a podcast? Uh, because I thought it would be really helpful to to our students. And I think, guys, if you're listening, and maybe even not a student, but you're you're working at the, like any of these, I think will work in any arena. Some of these, a couple of these specifically apply to being a student in the classroom or at college. But for the most part, most of these will apply anywhere. All right. So uh, why don't you kick us off with the first one here on the list? All right. So the first one I wrote down is learn to embrace failure learn to embrace failure you know most times especially when you're younger i think i'm thinking back to myself in my 20s failure was something that i wanted to be far far away from me and if i could keep myself distance myself from failure i would make it i would be good but it's weird it's kind of you know kind of ironic but really in order to succeed you've got to learn how to fail and you've got to learn from your from your failure. So if I make a mistake, if I mess up, and if you're a student, if you've got a bad grade on a quiz, you've got to learn, okay, what put me in a position to make that bad grade? Or if you're in work, you know, what put me in a position to make that mistake or to not be effective or to mess up or whatever it is? Learn from that and then to move forward. So failure actually helps me succeed, okay? Mm, if I... That's good. If, if I run from it, if I'm afraid of it, that's actually going to hurt me in the long run. I need to go, okay, I messed up. What can I learn from it? And then I want to move forward. 
Okay, so failure is kind of a stepping stone for you to actually go closer to your goal instead of away from your goal. Like so many students and so many people believe that if you fail, you're actually falling back from your goal, but really you're stepping forward. Exactly, exactly. And that's why you need good people around you that who can help you understand. Sometimes, you know, we're messing up at things and we don't know it. And so we need good people around us to go, hey, you're, you're not doing this quite right, or you need to maybe fix this or refine this or... Or maybe there can be fellow students in the class that can that can often help other students with that. But that helps us learn from it as well. So just embracing it, realizing that, hey, there's nobody that's perfect. Everybody's going to mess up. Everybody's going to make mistakes. But the key is to learn from the mistake and then to move forward. So how do you, how do you deal with some of the uh, side effects, really, of failure? Like the tendency is you want to kind of clam up and maybe kind of fall back a little bit and reevaluate what you did. Even if you just messed up even in the slightest, it still feels like a failure. So how do you deal with that failure? That's a great question. I think one of the best things you can do is learn to acknowledge it, learn to not try to pretend like it's not there. So um, be open about it. You know, that's why you, you do need friends. You need people alongside you that you can go, hey, I messed up in this area and I need to voice it, verbalize it to somebody. That's one of the best ways to get us moving forward to learn from it. I think, you know, there's, I, look, I've had this, I've had this same tendency to often try to keep failures inside, to not let the world know that, hey, I made a mistake or I messed up. And that's, I think that's really the opposite of what you want to do, especially, you know, in leadership and ministry, especially in, you don't want to hide things. I mean, you want to, you want to be an open book. Uh, you want to share things with people that you trust and, and that can help you through it. So, so that's important. Okay. So I know that uh, we just covered number one. So yeah. what do you got for number two? Number two. I love number two. I love all these, to be honest. But mm-hmm. number two is to remain in a constant state of curiosity. Remain in a constant state of curiosity. And this is one of those that I think applies more so to the classroom but it's it's just the idea of sometimes students get in classes for example i teach economics and sometimes we can get into a discussion that the student has maybe had a rough morning or they're just not into it and the classroom can kind of be a place where you just sort of check out and it needs to be a place where you check in and so what i mean by this is that you need to be always starting with the question of why. Why is that the way it is? You know, for instance, we talk about something in our economics class. We talk about things like, uh, we may talk about abortion. We may talk about something like North Korea. Like people can't, they don't have the option to vote in North Korea. They can't invent products in, you know, in North Korea. It's not the place where you have the freedom to do those kinds of things. Instead of just saying, Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm trying to memorize it for the test. Okay. Start by saying, why is that the way it is? Okay. Why, why is that thing like that? Okay. So that's, that's part of just being in a constant state of curious about why things are the way they are. I mean, do things really have to be the way they are? Okay. Maybe, maybe they don't have to be the way they are. But a lot of times I think what students will go, they'll try to memorize facts and data without getting an understanding of, okay, why is it, why is it that way? And that can be really powerful too. Once you understand the why, then you really understand um, how it affects other things uh, around it. And you really begin to grasp the full concept as opposed to just parts of it. You really understand 
the full concept as opposed to just maybe knowing a few answers for the test. Right, right. And in fact, in fact, Simon Sinek, is it Sinek? Yes, yeah, Simon I think Sinek. It is Sinek. Yep. He's got that book out there that's that's Start With Why. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's great a book. book. I, I think I read that a couple of years ago. It's been out for, I think, at least a few years anyway. But it's a fantastic book, an excellent resource. But it is so true. I mean, that's where you got to start, I think, with everything. No, I definitely agree. So far, we've already gotten some really great principles, but what is what is number three here on your list? Number three is see the big picture. See the big picture. So powerful. Yeah. Okay. And I think for some, that's maybe a little easier than for others, uh, and that's okay. But I think that it's important not to always be in a state of seeing the big picture, but to at times make sure you focus on the big picture. And when I put this down, you know, a while back and I was writing this down, I was thinking to myself that this is for that student who stumbles into a quiz or an assignment and doesn't do very well and starts to not understand the concepts at a very detailed level and gets so hung up on that one or two details or those one or two lessons that they lose sight of the big picture of why you're even there learning in the first place. And it can be paralyzing. I mean, I've seen so many students just get stuck, lost in some kind of principle or something like that that they're trying to learn, that they get so frustrated. I've even seen students almost give up on the semester because they've had two bad weeks where they don't understand the material. And what I'm saying is that don't ever lose sight of the big picture that this one lesson or that you're having difficulty understanding or this one quiz that you didn't quite make a good grade on is not going to destroy you unless you let it destroy you. Keep your eyes on the big picture of what is happening here, okay? You're going to college to study, not just to study to know, but you're going there to study, to learn, so that you can what? So that you can go get a job. That's the process of learning there. Not to just be this like bank of information and never go do anything with it. So so I just seen a lot of students, I think, get very narrow-sighted, you know, and they just get stuck in a principle or two. And we've all done that. I mean, I did that in calculus class, you know, learning calculus. Just get stuck on something. When you don't see the whole picture, you can't really understand, okay, why... Why does that thing work with this thing and, and, and so on? So that's that one. Okay, I, I would even say that that goes further than even in the classroom, but also in the workplace as well. Sometimes um, if you don't see the big picture and you mess up in a project or in a meeting, you tend to fall back. And kind of like what you were saying with principle one, you tend to dwell on that failure of it and you don't really see the big picture of really what you're doing and even how that failure can help you grow to see um, really what what you're working on is all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's actually a great point because that just made me think about how many times we start things and at a certain point in it, we lose track of the goal. Absolutely. You know, and it's like how frustrating would it be to play a football game where they're constantly moving the goalposts all over the place and you don't know where you, you know, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what the win is. And that's really what I mean is, okay, well, what is the big win here? You're a student, you're in college, you're in class, okay? It's a thing that, it's a principle that's frustrating, that it's difficult to learn, but what is the big picture? What is the purpose of all of this for you 
personally. See, see the big picture of what all of your learning is about. All right, can I hit number four? Absolutely, all please right. do. Number four is this. It's kind of a formula, and it's manage yourself, and that equals time plus talent. Time plus talent. We spent some time this opening class a couple days ago talking about this one in particular um, because some students, you, when, you, when you open the class and you go through some of the syllabus assignments, some students, when they see the word exam, they freak out. But if they see research paper, it's not as big of a deal. And then other students could be the exact opposite. They could be, um, oh no, not another research paper, but oh, an exam quizzes. Oh, I got that. You know, that's it's. And some students may feel like they don't have have any of it. You know, but they may see like, okay, here's another example. Uh, some students go, oh no, we got to be in groups. Okay. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. For some. The math side of things may be easier, but the writing side of things might be harder. You know, the reading might be easier, but then the speech, the in front of the class communication might be harder. So what I tell my students is this. It's not just about managing your time as a student. It's also about understanding your talent level, your talent. You know, what is it that you do well naturally? What is it that you do well naturally? Okay, if you're plotting out your semester, and every student should do this, they should figure out, okay, what, first of all, first of all, at the top of a piece of paper, what is the grade that I expect to get in this class? And you write that at the top of the paper. And then after that, you sit there and ask this question. How many hours in class will it take me to get that grade? So usually it's like a number of 36. There's usually 36 hours in the semester. Then after that, the next question is, how many hours outside of class will I need in order to get that grade at the top of the piece of paper? So some students, it might be 50 or 60 hours outside of class, let's say. Then you add those two numbers together and you figure, oh, it's 100 hours. I need 100 hours in order to get an A in this class for the entire semester. And then you start breaking that down. I've got a research paper, a 10-page research paper that I'm probably going to need 16 of those hours to work on. But for some students, they may only need eight in that area, okay? But most often what students do is they just sort of go week by week. They don't plot it out for the semester. And they're not really managing not just their time. They're, they're missing out on managing their time. They're also trying to juggle and figure out week to week what they're best at. And they don't understand that if, hey, if you find exams much easier than writing papers... You need to set aside more time to write the papers maybe than you do the exams, okay, and vice versa. So it's kind of like that sort of thinking that you need to understand not just the hours, but you also need to manage your talent, your gift level, and your skill set. And I think what you demonstrated right there in terms of writing it out and focusing and figuring out how many hours is really healthy because a lot of students, they don't really take the time to really think about their time commitment for each class or if you're in a job what project how long it's going to take you um, how long should you prepare for this meeting and so whenever you write it out in a sense to where you're able to fully understand your time commitment the amounts of 
uh, resources that it's going to require, you really get a full grasp in terms of how long it's going to take you and even what you have to manage. Yeah, yeah. Well, that if definitely helps. You know, if you're looking at 100 hours to get an A in one class and you're taking five classes, yep. that's maybe 400 to 500 hours, you know, depending on the type. Obviously, you don't need that much time for like a fitness walking or, <laughs> you know, some kind of class like that. But there yeah. may be other classes that demand more because your skill set is not in, in that area. Okay. Yeah. So, um, in fact, students, I've taught accounting before, and students often, they have a misconception about what kind of time is, it's going to require in that class, you know, because that class, you make one little mistake, it throws the whole thing off. And so, um, but yeah, that's interesting. I think that's so important that students write that out and they create a strategy before they start any semester moving forward. You know that this is what they need this is the what they need this is the goal an a and this is what they've got to have time wise in order to get get them to that goal yeah definitely all right pastor brian we are halfway through what is number five number five and we can if we need to we can move a little faster on these but um number five is help other students succeed help other students succeed this is I think this is there's always a kickback in this. Like if you're if you're willing to help another student along, help is going to come your way. I believe in the principle, you know, you sow, you reap what you sow. If you plant a seed, it's going to be harvest, harvested at some point. And some of the best students that I've ever seen come through our program or sit in class, be a part of class are the ones that are willing to help others succeed. And we've we've gone to a lot more group work in our classes lately because that's the real world um which i'm thankful for that i I hated group work when i was in school because i was always nervous we were going to get that one person (laughs) that doesn't do anything (laughs) i think everyone's nervous but you know what that's the real world Mm -hmm. no matter where you go you're on a group you're on a team you're trying to figure things out and i'm not saying there's always that one person but there could be that one person there that you, you know you've got to figure it out despite that so Group work has been an important part of um, our class and our program, students working together. And I think it's critical that students, that it it almost becomes in their nature to go, no, 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 I'm not going to let that other student fall behind. There's not only one A to give out to the class. If you think about it, every student, all of the 35 students in my class can get an A if they're willing to put in the time. So there's no reason to try to keep someone else, you know, to try to move ahead and advance. That's one thing that's different between college and the real world. It's usually in the real world, you maybe have one position that people are trying to vie for to get that promotion. But in college, no, 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 no. I'll give out 35 A's if students will do the work. And so, but I think that's just huge. If students kind of get that in their nature to go, you know what, I'm going to help my teammates. I'm going to help my um, the peers in my class along to get better. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful just because if you help others, you understand the concepts more. And plus there'll be other topics that'll come along that maybe you're not so strong in that they'll be able to help you in. And so it really, um, is ironing, sharpening iron at that point. So that's really good. Yeah. So number six is this own your mistakes. And in parentheses, I just put, don't pass blame to others. And that could be others being the teacher. That could be being other students. It's so critical to own your mistakes, to acknowledge you messed up, to take responsibility. You cannot move forward 
if you're always blaming the other person, okay? And this comes from a situation I had a while back where I had a student who was so frustrated with the grade that they received in the class. It was the end of the semester, and the student's sitting there going, how can I make this up? You know, what, can you give me some extra credit, all this, like, stuff? And I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, what? This student had missed, like, 15 classes, okay? I don't remember the exact amount, but it was just, mm-hmm. but they weren't taking ownership of the fact that, you know what, they didn't come to class, so they didn't learn the principles. They didn't learn the things uh, to study for the exams. They missed review day, all this kind of stuff. And then there, there I am trying to figure out, okay, how can I help this person? And I was like, no, I'm not going to help this person because the best learning is for this person to go, you know what, I messed up. I made a mistake. I shouldn't do it again. I need to own it. And then I need to try again. That's the best learning right there. I mean, Micaiah, we're, we've been out of school for a while. Me, longer than yeah. you. <laughs> but there's people post-college that don't own their mistakes yes and it is extremely unhealthy for you not to own your mistakes it it takes more time honestly out if you don't own your mistakes than if you do right and we all time yeah and we all make them i think just think one of the worst things you can do is always try to shift blame pass blame to someone else yeah completely agree with that okay what's number seven number seven oh this is a big one this is a big this is a big deal here (laughs) the process is more important than the grade. Oh, that's so good. The process is more important than the grade. Okay, so what I mean by that is that students come in, especially on the first day, and that grade is so important. But what I didn't understand when I was in school, what I think a lot of times students don't quite understand is that the process of learning how to learn how do I learn things is more important than the actual grade I get at the end of the semester. You know, there are a lot of stories. We've got stories of people in our church who are really successful, Hmm. who made C's. They're successful because they learned how to learn. They learned the process. It's about the process of learning. Okay. It's about the process of developing as a person the process of becoming a better leader, the process of becoming a better student, the process of how is it that I learn, that's so critical and so important. When you're 35, guys hear me, when you're 35 or 40 and you go for a job interview, I can almost guarantee you that the person asking you questions is not going to ask you what grade you made on calculus (laughs) when you were a sophomore in college. What they're going to be trying to learn from you is have you become a better leader? Have you become a better person? Have you become more knowledgeable, uh, more expertise, you know, in your area? That's what they're trying to pick up on. They're they're asking everything about the process. They're never going to ask you about the grade. I've never even asked anybody that I've interviewed about a grade. They, why would I even ask that? I don't even care. What I want to know is what have they excelled? Have they gotten better? Have they become more confident have they become more humble you know um that's what i'm trying to pick up on and those are all process learning things yeah the grade is important because you eventually get a degree off that grade Mm -hmm. but if you don't fully understand the concepts it's not it's going to hurt you in the end when you try to go get a job 
and you get hired on for something that you were educated in, but in reality, you were never actually educated in it. Yeah. And so you end up losing that job until you actually learn the very things that if you just paid attention in class, you would have learned. So yeah. definitely the process is definitely more important than the grade. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Number eight. Number eight. We're almost done. We am, we're almost to the end there. Here it is. Understand the principle before attempting to remember it. Understand the principle for before attempting to remember it. And when I say this, I'm thinking about uh, in my class. So the class that I teach, you know, there's a lot of definitions. There's a lot of terms that you've got to memorize, you know, uh, that we that we talk about. And you've got the whole note card thing. Maybe students want to study by note cards, so they put the word on the front. And then what do they do on the back? They put the definition on the back. And they just memorize, 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 memorize without understanding the principle behind it. And so... I'm always trying to ask, especially in the first few classes, you know, do you, where are you at on the principle of what we're learning? Stop with the words just for a second and think about the principle, okay? And let's understand that. And then it's fascinating. The, the memory almost comes automatically when you begin to understand the principle. So, but I've just seen that so often where students just jump ahead and it's just, it, it, it becomes like a task list, you know, checklist. I got to know all these things in the in one ear, out the other, at the end of the semester, and I go on. I've got my class, I've got my grade, but yet, what did I really gain out of it? That's going to help me That's the rest true. of my life. You've got to understand the principles, especially the foundational principles in every class. Well, in majority of uh, colleges, the way that they're set up is you always have like a major break, whether it be Christmas break or summer break. And what I like to do whenever I was in college was I like to take the information that I learned and just go over it again. So that way I can um, memorize it. So that way I can go over it. So that, that way the next semester I had a full grasp of that because typically one course led to another that built on that same course. And so I needed to know that information. And so it was healthy for me during Christmas break to kind of go over uh, yeah. my classwork that I did that past semester yeah. so that way I could fully understand it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, Jesus taught that way. Jesus Jesus didn't go, hey guys, here's the, here's the meaning of sanctification. Mm. Write this down. So true. Here's the definition of sanctification. Okay, here's the definition of salvation. Here's the definition of... Re Jesus didn't teach like that. What did he do? <laughs> he, got he, every, he got with the listener, whoever was there, the audience, and he used a parable to explain the principle. We're the ones that draw out the definitions of what sanctification means and all this kind of stuff. But the Word of God it expresses the definitions. We draw out you know, our understanding of it. But Jesus taught in those ways because people needed to understand the principle. Uh, you understand so the true. principle yep. of the the sower, you know, and the seed. You've got to understand the principle, not just, you know, where is that found in the Bible? What where's the reference? No, that's important. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying that if you really want to understand something, understand the principle first. So true. All right, we're on our final two here. What's number nine? All right, number nine, and some students will cringe when I say this. <laughs> I was used to be one of those students. I'm not anymore, but I'm telling you, this is so important. Number nine is just simply practice writing practice writing. I have never been in a job or an opportunity where writing and communication was not important. I've had different jobs, different opportunities, and you know some of that background. Mm -hmm. It's always been important how someone communicates. Bottom line, 
you can tell a lot from somebody when you read emails that they don't understand what they're saying and all of the words are misspelled. <laughs> Students, this is in while you're in college, this is the time that you need to begin the habit of practicing writing hmm. and to choose to become really good at it. That doesn't mean you'll write books. That doesn't mean you have to write 10, 12, 14, 18 page papers all the time. But I'm talking about daily, write down your thoughts and write them down in such a way as if you were communicating to an audience. Get in the, practice it. Develop that skill because you're always gonna need it. Everywhere you go, no matter what job, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're working in a bank or you're building houses or you're playing football. At some point, you've got to have the ability to communicate. Right now, you may not have the opportunities to communicate on the stage or in front of a class or in front of a group of people, but you do have the ability to communicate in writing, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I would just challenge students to, you know, look, just write about your day. You know, just take a little bit of, take 15 or 20 minutes every single day and to just write your thoughts down as if you were communicating to somebody who was gonna read these, these thoughts. And it's just an excellent way of preparing or, or practicing and developing that skill of learning how to write and to communicate a message because you're always going to need that skill. Hmm. Well, especially in the workplace, it can really hurt your credibility if you don't write well, if you don't express your thoughts well, because, I mean, who are you to say this when, in fact, you probably didn't actually mean what you just said right there. You probably meant something else, but the way that you wrote it down, it kind of expresses it's something different. And so writing is definitely a huge key to be successful in the workplace even after you graduate. Yeah, I've even That's told huge. people that work for me who get really upset, you know, oh, I'm so mad. Ugh. Why don't you just write it down on paper hmm. and then read it? You know, you're frustrated at so-and-so because they did this. Write that out on paper. And you know, they're about to just like, go off on somebody because they're upset or whatever. Why don't you write out why you're frustrated? Then read it back and listen to how it sounds, you know, and and then you can make corrections, you know, you can it's it's going to help you with patience and it's also going to help your writing and your your ability to communicate. Mm. You know, That's maybe so I shouldn't be that harsh, you know, you just start thinking through things like that. So Anyway, yeah, I think that's so, so important. I'm going to hit number 10 here. Okay, our last one. Here we go. When choosing classes, pick the most challenging professor. <laughs> that's a hard sell. You think students will turn it off right now? I hope not. <laughs> why don't you explain why, though? Let me explain. I love the game of basketball. Absolutely love it. I coach basketball. I love the game of basketball. I had basketball coaches when I was growing up the best coach I ever had was the one who was who challenged me the most mm. in the moment I didn't like the coach you know like oh they're gonna make me run they're gonna make us run sprints today but those were the coaches that brought the most out of us as a team I think it's the same thing in education I'm not saying pick the I'm not saying pick the professor that makes you take a lot of notes. I'm not saying pick the professor that makes you study a lot of terms. I'm talking about picking the professor that is the most challenging to you as a person for you to develop. Hmm. I had a professor when I was in college. His name was Dr. Wyckoff. He still teaches graduate school. 
But man, everybody was like, oh, I don't know if I can take Wyckoff. I don't know. But you have to take Wyckoff. Everybody's got to take Wyckoff because he's the only one that teaches that class. And man, it was brutal because he was just like 100 miles an hour teaching and you're just trying to catch up and take all these notes. This was back before people had laptops and classes and phones and stuff. But we're trying to write everything down and he's he's just going through all of this theology stuff and we're trying to just... And um, you had to work hard to make a good grade in that class. And in the moment, it's frustrating and you feel defeated because you're like, oh, no matter how hard I work, it's so hard to get an A in this class. But now that I look back, I go, man, that professor brought something out of me. That per I, don't, I couldn't even put a measurement on how much better that, that professor made me. And everybody's afraid to take him. So that's my number 10 right there. Okay, that if you're trying to figure out most students will go for the easy professor. You know, so-and-so said that professor was easy. I'm saying pick the one that's the most challenging. Well, I definitely think that this list is absolutely huge, and um, I hope that it's been a blessing to you. And um, also, uh, for the high school students, or whether you're um, not in high school anymore, or maybe you're in college right now, um, your freshman or sophomore year, or maybe you're already past college and you're in the business field. I really do hope that this list has been beneficial for you and that um, you can definitely take either one or all of these principles and really apply it to what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Micaiah, for hosting this. Absolutely. And thank you, Pastor Brian. We hope to see you guys soon here on this podcast. See you guys. See you guys.